I want to bring up our guest speaker, and he's more than a guest speaker to me and to us, really, as a house. Uh, Banning Liebscher is, for Allison and I, one of our pastors. He's, he's a leader and a pastor in our life. Um, so when he texted and told me that he was going to be in town this weekend, um, I knew that the opportunity could not pass us by. We had to have him here and speak to our family because I know it's going to make a tremendous impact on us. So uh, believe it or not, I met Banning on MySpace. Yeah. That's how far back we go. Uh, but yeah, I, I funny enough, you guys were... Uh, cranking up with Jesus Culture, uh, the movement, the band, and I sent you a message on MySpace thinking, well, this is going to go into outer space. Uh, but you replied back to me, and we talked back and forth for a, for a bit, and you invited me to the um, Jesus Culture Atlanta that you guys were doing. Hey, come to Jesus Culture Atlanta. Come by. Say hi. Banning is the founder of Jesus Culture. For those of you who have been blessed by their music, their albums, their conferences, their events, his preaching, he's also the senior pastor at Jesus Culture Sacramento Church Plant uh, there for the last couple of years, and they're just crushing it. So I'm going to let him uh, share the rest of what's going on, but let's all together as a family stand up and honor Banning as he comes to share the Word of God with us. Thank you, guys. You can, you can be seated. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, it's encouraged. I've uh, been on this journey a little bit with them for this church, and so it's just, it's so cool to see what God's doing and, and uh, here. So thank you, by the way. You're awesome. But it is good to be here. I got a few minutes with you, and I want to jump in. I, I want to speak a word to you uh, that will both hopefully uh, speak to you personally, but also so much of church is built around, the church consists of culture and community. And you've got to build culture and community. Culture and community are things that take time. Uh, it's, it's consistency and being intentional and deliberate. But the culture piece is really important. Uh, the, the goal is not just to gather a crowd, it's to build culture, it's to establish a culture. And so, so today I really want to talk about kind of a culture that I, th that, that I think is in your DNA, but that, but that if culture is really to be established, it's not just that it's preached, it's that it's lived. And, and, that, and that the impact that comes, for, for real impact to come and transformation to come from preaching, it's not just the preaching, it's that it's that transformation happens in the culture that the preaching's coming to. And, and so it's like there's a word coming, but there's a, there's a company of people that have embraced and are walking out a culture where transformation really begins to happen, right? Discipleship doesn't happen from the pulpit. Discipleship happens uh, from walking with people in the culture that's established. So let me read a quick story to you, and uh, we're going to kind of flow through this just for Sunday morning sake of time. Uh, uh, Jonathan is armor bearer. Uh, which is a story that most of us would know if you've been around church at all. But, but uh, Saul is king, and the Israelites are at war with the Philistines, although they're not engaged. So the story is, is that you know, the, the, uh, the Israelites are encamped on one hill. There's a three-mile valley in between another hill, and on that hill is the Philistines. And they're not engaged. They're kind of at war, but not engaged. They're kind of just yelling at one another. And then, and then one day something happens in the heart of Jonathan, and he decides that he wants to get up and go take on this entire army of the Philistines. So listen to this real quick. Now, First Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Between the, uh, go, to, go to verse 4. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. Verse 5. The front of one for, faced northward and southward. 
Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison that is uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord uh, from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over these men, and we will show ourselves to them. My, my heart for you and my goal is, is that you would be engaged, that, that something would be awakened inside of you and that you would be engaged on the call of God in your life. There, there's something that happens in the life of a believer where we know that there's a call to follow Jesus. And that call consists of both becoming someone and doing something. And, and they're both there. It, we know that what we do comes out of who we are, but I have a call to be and I have a call to do. God has called me to be someone, and he's called me to do something. And one of the saddest things I see in the body of Christ is when there are believers who are not engaged in that call, who are not engaged in the call that God has in their life to be someone and to do something. And, and part of the awakening that begins to happen in our life is what happened with Jonathan, where the Israelites are encamped against the Philistines, but not engaged in what God had called them to. And so Jonathan, one day, it's his heart stern. He said, I, I don't, I don't want to sit any longer. Like, I want to engage what God has called me to. I want to go after the things that the Lord has shown me. I want to be who he's called me to be. I want to do what he's called me to do. But one of the things that, that you find out very quickly is, is that when, when, the, when the Lord begins to awaken, when you're sitting on this hill and he awakens your heart to say, I don't want to sit. I want to engage the call of God in my life that there is a journey that begins and there is a three-mile walk that has to happen in your life if you're fully going to step in and see what God has for you. And the, and the key ingredient, there's, a, there, there's, there's two things you need to engage the call of God. Faith, but the second one is this, courage. It takes a massive, massive amount of courage to engage the call of God in your life, to be who he's called you to be and to do what he's called you to do. A massive amount of courage. And you find this out very quickly if you actually engage it. One of the things I realized is, is that it, it's, it, it doesn't take any courage to have vision. This is one of those things where we're very impressed by people that are visionary people. I, I'm becoming less impressed with visionaries and because it's that thing of like, I have a vision. Anybody can be excited about a vision, passionate about a vision, zealous about a vision, can articulate the vision. That's not the hard part. It doesn't take courage to be at point A and be excited about point B. It, doesn't act, it takes courage to engage the vision that's in my life. And you very quickly find out that I, I can sit here all day long and be excited about what God's called me to do and be excited about who he's called me to be. But it's not until I actually get up and engage the call of God in my life that, that halfway on this three-mile walk, I realize this is the scariest thing I've ever done. Like, this takes a massive amount of courage to do this thing that God's called me to. And, and, and that, you know, it, it's not just, you know, to do what he's called me to do, to lay hands in the sick or, or to start a business or to believe God for something or like, like that takes a certain level of courage. It takes even more courage to actually be who God's called you to be. That there are things that he's wanting to transform in you. There's things he's wanting you to face. There's things he's wanting you to grow in your life. There's things he's wanting to get breakthrough in. That takes courage. And so, so very quickly, I, I, I'm like, you know, from point A to point B, there's a lot of stuff going on. Right, right, yep. And so my, my goal is to get you engaged. My goal is to get you off of point A and headed towards point B. Yes. But it takes, a, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I remember when my, um, when, I, when my kids were little, I, uh, I would go into Home Depot, and every time I'd go into Home Depot, they would have these massive, like, play structures, these wooden play structures built outside. You know, they're like, they're like the two-story fort. It's the slide, the swings, the climbing wall, the rope. And every time I'd walk in, I'd look, and I'd be like, that'd be so amazing in my backyard. Like, I would love that in my backyard. But I didn't, it was like $1,500. We didn't have the money for it. So, but one day I was with my father-in-law. We're walking into Home Depot for something, and he looks. He says, hey, I want to buy the grandkids that. And I'm like, that'd be amazing. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. So we go in, we buy it. And when we buy it, I can see this play structure in my backyard. I can see exactly where I'm going to put it. I can see my kids playing on it. I can see all the neighborhood kids over. Like, I'm the hero dad. This is going to be incredible. And so we buy this thing. And then three days later, it shows up at my house. And they drop it off on my driveway. And it's not what I saw in my vision. <laughs> Right, like what I saw, the completed project at Home Depot is not what they dropped off in my house. They dropped off like boxes and wood and piles of this stuff. And I am handyman handicapped. Like I, I am, I don't, like I'm, it's bad. I, I, I'm not good at this stuff. And I just sat there so overwhelmed by what I was looking at, going, this is not what I had. This is not what I saw. And, uh, and so it took me like, it was like four days. This no joke. I, I counted it. I had to get 10 different friends to come over and help who knew what they were talking about. I lost my salvation three times. Like it was, it was one of those type things. Until finally this thing kind of came together. And, and this thing, like anybody can be excited about seeing the end product. Anybody can be excited about seeing where my life is going to go or who I'm going to be or the call of God on my life. The, the hard part is not the vision part. It doesn't take any courage to have vision. It takes courage to engage that vision. Because in between point A and point B is something called a lot of work. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, and valleys. And, and it, this is, so, so to live with courage, it's required. And, and this is the deal. If, if you engage the call of God at all in your life, if you're moving forward, you are going to face discouragement. This is, this is you know, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I'd love to tell you it's different, but discouragement is one of the main things that will come at you. It's one of the main things. In fact, I would tell you this. If you're discouraged, be encouraged, because this is what comes at people is the issue of discouragement. Now, again, it's not always like overwhelming. It's not, all, it's not always like my entire life is discouraged. But, but the enemy comes and he's like picking at areas. He's trying to get at areas. Maybe finances, it may be relationships, it may be family, it may be your future, it may be purity, whatever it is. He's trying to come, he's trying to discourage you because the enemy knows this, that apart from courage, you cannot be who God's called you to be and you cannot do what God's called you to do. You can't. And so he comes to discourage you. He comes to disarm you of courage. Because if he can get your courage, then you can't, you can't move forward into what he's called you to do. So, 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 I, so anybody, that actually, anybody that's actually engaging the call of God in their life will face discouragement. And the, the question is not, you know, not whether or not you'll face discouragement. Anybody, I'm telling you right now, anybody that says they've never been discouraged is either one, not engaging the call of God in their life, or two, lying. <laughs> wow. And, and, and so... so it, you know, the, the, the test, the question is not, will I face discouragement? The question is, what separates you is not the issue of discouragement. What separates you is, do you know what to do when discouragement comes? Do you know what to do? Because the people that truly will, will make a difference, the people that will truly step into the fullness of what God has for them, 
it, it are those that, that can pass that test of discouragement. That when discouragement comes, they know how to get up and go again. So let me, let me leave you two practical things this morning about how do I position my life to live encouraged? How do I position my life? Because it's too costly for me to live discouraged. It's too costly. Because uh, I need to be engaging the call of God on my life. i got to be going after this thing. And so if, if, when I live discouraged, what happens is, is all of a sudden there, there's, a, there's a posture that I'm leaning into what God has. I'm, I'm moving towards what he has. And when discouragement comes, all of a sudden it's not, it's not a leaning in posture. It's a leaning back posture. All of a sudden I'm not dreaming like I used to. I'm not taking risks like I used to. I'm not stepping out like I used to. I'm not, all of a sudden this thing begins to come. And so therefore it's too costly. So how do I position my life? To live encouraged. How do I position my life where I know how to find courage and courage knows how to find me? Two simple things I just want to talk to you that have to be in your life. First one is this. The default mode of your life has to be wait on the Lord. That, that anytime discouragement starts peeking its head up, anytime discouragement starts coming around the, the corner, I have to have a default mode of I, I know how to wait on the Lord. This is what, this is what uh, listen to this in uh, Psalms 27, 14. It says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. There's something about when, when, I, when I wait on him and when I get with him, that his presence begins to fill me and his voice begins to speak to me. And when his presence begins to fill me and his voice begins to speak to me, it comes with courage. Yeah. David says in the Psalms, he says, he says, do not be silent to me, lest if you're silent to me, I'm like those who go down to the pit. So if I'm going to avoid the pit, it means that I've got to have you speak to me. And that pit of discouragement and that, that, that thing over there, the way I avoid it is when I wait on you, your voice begins to speak to me and your presence begins to fill me. And both of those things come with, come with courage. And so anytime, anytime I see discouragement anywhere, I've got to get with him and I will, I will wait on him until courage comes. I will wait on him until he speaks to me and I will wait on him until his presence fills me. We, we, have, a, we have a phrase that we use, uh, uh, always keep one foot in water. And that phrase is actually stolen from a Navy the Navy SEALs because I met a guy who his dad was uh, a, a Navy SEAL in the Vietnam era. And uh, he said, my dad, when he was with SEALs, they would have that phrase, always keep one foot in water. And the reason is, is because what separates SEALs from other special operation forces is their ability to thrive in water. Wow. Let, let me, so, so anytime they get in trouble, they retreat to water. Wow. They retreat to water. That's what they've got to get to. And, and listen to what, there's a book called America's Special Forces by a guy named David Bower. He says this, the acronym SEAL identifies the environments in which they operate, sea, air, land. Seals are first and foremost warriors who come from the sea and return to its silent darkness when their work is done. This distinction alone sets them apart from all other special operation forces. Though one of nature's harshest environments, the water is a safe haven for seals. It is where they are most comfortable and confident. In other words, when, I, when, I'm in, when, the, when the seals are engaged in battle with the enemy, it's a level playing field. And if they get in trouble, they always know where water is because if they can get to water, what, what, what used to be a level playing field is no longer a level playing field because the enemy can't actually follow them into water. 
Because, because water is a harsh environment unless you're a seal. Uh, 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 the water is a harsh environment unless you're a seal where it's a safe haven. It's where you're most comfortable. It's where you're most confident. So if I'm engaged in battle, then I've got to get to water because when I get to water, there are things that cannot follow me into water. So, so when we say we retreat to water, I retreat to his presence. Anytime, anything, bondage, uh, you can just go down a list, right? Uh, discouragement, anytime discouragement comes. If I can get into his presence which is available because Jesus tore the veil. I can get into his presence in my car, in my cubicle, and my, like, it doesn't, anywhere I turn my heart and my affection to him and, and turn my attention to him, his presence begins to fill me. Discouragement cannot follow me into the presence of God because, because there are things in the presence of God that thrive and there are things in the presence of God that die. There are things that get oxygen and there are things that suffocate. So when I feel powerless and when I feel hopeless and when I feel discouraged and, 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 and when I'm in bondage, then if I can, if I can get into the presence of God, pa uh, uh, powerlessness can't follow me in there. Hopelessness can't follow me in there. Discouragement and bondage can't because those things begin to die in the presence where hope and power and life and courage begin to thrive. So this is why we have the default mode of we've got to just turn our hearts to him. And, and, and this is my responsibility. He's available. One of the dangers of discouragement is, is that when you're discouraged, and this is why it's, it is too costly for you to live discouraged for any length of time. And we, and we justify it. We, we have reasons why we're discouraged and why we're okay in this kind of thing. But, but, but I cannot afford to live there. I, I, I can't afford to live discouraged. I've got to get into his presence. I've got to let God come and fill me. Because when, when discouragement comes, one of the things that happens is my heart becomes exposed. And this, this is the danger zone for discouragement is that when I'm discouraged, the, the defenses, the walls around my heart come down and my heart becomes vulnerable and exposed. It's why when discouragement comes, this is why where, where toxicity, things begin to come and plant, they, they begin to get into my heart. Bitterness and offense, hurt, disappointment, whatever. You just, those are the things that begin to creep in and all of a sudden toxic things begin to set in my heart. I talked about this a little bit at the GO conference, but, but your heart is what you're to guard above all else. The Bible makes this very clear that above all else, guard your heart. Be diligent with it. Proverbs talks about it. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be vigilant. And the NIV version says above all else, guard your heart because from it flow the issues of life. This is where life starts. So the Bible says, listen, guard your heart because all of the issues of life come from whether or not your heart's healthy. And, and when discouragement comes, my, 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 I become vulnerable for things to begin to get into my heart that shouldn't be there. And all of a sudden, my heart becomes not healthy and issues begin to come from this. That's part of the issue why discouragement is so dangerous. So I've got to guard my heart. And many people, they don't realize it. When they're under fire, when they're in the battle, their heart becomes exposed. And the best way to protect my heart is I've got to get into the presence. I've got to get with him and I've got to let that thing surround my heart. 
If you've ever seen a, any type of war movie, you'll see on the battlefield if they, I, I just saw, you know, Hacksaw Ridge and the whole movie around medics, these medics. And so there are combat medics and they, you know, they come and they, they help the people on the battlefield. And combat medics are trained in something called tactical combat casualty care. Tactical combat casualty care. And tactical combat casualty care, they train you in three phases. The first phase is care under fire. It's when you're on the battlefield, bullets are winging, I've got just limited things, and I've got to care. Then the second one is maybe where the bullets aren't flying, but I still have limited resources. The second phase. The third phase is I'm not in the hospital, but we've got a lot more, you know, the little setup, the area thing going. But, first, but, but the first phase called care under fire. Listen to this. Care under fire is care rendered at the scene of the injury while both the medic and casualty are under hostile fire. Available medical equipment is limited to that carried by each operator and the medic. Listen to this thing. This stage focuses on a quick assessment and placing a tourniquet on any major bleed. TCCC focuses training on major hemorrhaging and airway complications such as tension pneumothorax. In other words, when a medic is on the field and somebody's injured, bullets are flying everywhere, they have limited resources, they have limited things to serve, they have to, they have to be trained to assess very quickly what matters most. So when the Bible says above all else, they have to know what matters more than anything else in this moment. Because if I come and, and I'm trying to fix your broken leg while you're bleeding out, or if I'm trying to fix your, your wrist while you can't breathe. So they're trained to very quickly assess, is there any major bleeding? Is there somewhere where you can't breathe? And I've got to fix one of those two. I've got to fix those things. You got a broken leg? We'll deal with it later. Like, we'll deal with it later. We'll, we'll get to your broken leg. It's not what matters most right now. And my concern many times for believers that are, are living with discouragement is that they are under fire and they don't know how to assess quickly what matters most. I, I'm, 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 I'm focusing on all this other stuff while I'm bleeding out. I can't breathe and I'm trying to fix a broken leg. And the Bible says this, above all else, here's your top priority. Here's the thing that matters most. When I am in this mode of discouragement, I have to understand my heart is exposed. My heart is exposed right now. I've got to guard it because all of the issues of life are going to flow from this thing. So I've got to guard it. And the best way I can do that is I've got to get it into water. I've got to get it into the presence of God. And then if I can retreat to water and have my heart protected, I'll deal with the other stuff. There's, I, I got to deal with stuff. I got to figure out a fence. I gotta, but, but, but I will tell you this, what matters most is my heart I got to protect it. I see many, many believers that have gotten shipwrecked or they've gotten derailed because when discouragement comes, they don't know that their top priority is to guard their heart. And so they're left exposed. And all of a sudden, things begin to get into their heart that cause toxicity that, that create unhealth. And therefore, they get derailed and they get shipwrecked. One of, one of the main things that happens when I get into his presence is I have a clear revelation of who he is. And what I mean by this is, again, when I'm here and I'm discouraged, if I can get into the presence, when I'm with him, I begin to encounter him. So, so his presence comes, and what his presence does is it reveals his character and nature, which is this. He's a father. He's a father. I, and, and he's a really good father. He's a father that won't leave me or forsake me. 
I don't know if you had a dad like this, but the, you know, there are many dads who the way they teach their kids how to swim is just throw them in the deep end and then go, in the, go inside and grab a cup of coffee and let their kid figure it out, you know? Uh, I taught my kid how to swim, threw him in the deep end. He figured it out. You know, I'm like, or he's going to drown. Like, there's another option. But, you know, so many times... The, the way that we view God is, is that we're in the deep, we're like, we just got thrown in the deep end and you just walked in the house and you're le- you've left me out here just to kind of flounder around. But that's not actually God. God doesn't throw you in the, he, he, he puts you in the deep end. Like let, let me, the Christian life is a life in the deep end, but, but he gets in with you and he's there with you. I will say this real quickly, that, that many people, when they get discouraged, they don't become atheists, right? Most of us, most of us don't, like, I'm discouraged, uh, uh, you know, and then we're like, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe he exists. We don't become atheists. We become situational atheists. What I mean by that is, is that, is, is that at the heart of discouragement is this lie. God is not with me in this situation. God's not with me in this. That's, that's at the heart of discouragement. If I am discouraged, what it means is I am believing that whatever I'm facing, God's not with me in that moment. Okay, it can be anything. Again, a relationship, my future, uh, uh, my finances. And so I, I don't become an atheist. I become a situational atheist. It's a little bit like, um, you know the song, God's got the whole world in his hands? Yeah. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's like, God, I believe you have the whole world in your hands. I just don't believe you have the situation in your hands. I believe you're there. I just don't believe you're here in this situation, you know? And so, I mean, the Lord's very much challenged me on this thing that I cannot approach any situation as if he's not with me. And anytime there's discouragement, I'm telling you, it's because I believe I'm facing this situation on my own. And God comes and says, you're not facing this situation on your own. I'm, th- I'm in the deep end. You are, but I'm right next to you and we're swimming. And I'm, te- you know, it's that type of thing. And so, but yeah, again, Christians, we're not atheists. We're just situational atheists. We just kind of pick and choose some areas. Where we just don't believe God's there with us. And so, so when I get into his presence, all of a sudden this thing changes. But here's the second thing and, and then we'll be done. If you're going to live encouraged, you've got to have a default mode of wait on the Lord. But the second thing is this, is you've got to be in community. One of the main ways that God gives us courage is through people. It's one of the reasons why uh, um, isolation is such a killer for believers. It's one of the reasons why independence is so hurtful to believers. Because one of the things the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to get you to, to be by yourself. Because people who are by themselves are, are, are just a m- massive target for discouragement. Wow, wow, wow. Pity parties are party of one. Wow. Right? Wow. This is the truth. Pity parties are a party of one. Wow. And so when I'm having a pity party, when I'm feeling sorry for myself, and when I think that whatever, I'm by myself. And the enemy tries to get you over there. The enemy gets you there a lot of ways. Pride. And I, want, I don't need anybody in my life. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, uh, uh, so, so pride or arrogance or, or the, the, you know, offense or bitterness or hurt. I didn't come to church for three weeks and nobody called me. I probably am not, I probably nobody cares about me. And this is the thing that begins to separate off. Or shame. Shame's one of the big ones actually that gets people. You can come every single week, sit in these chairs and not actually allow people in your life because of shame. 
I think, well, if you really knew what was going on, if you knew what I looked at last night, if you knew what was happening, if you knew the turmoil that's inside of me, you probably wouldn't accept me. And so I just kind of separate. But, but, but community is that thing that comes and puts courage inside of you. Paul in Romans, he says, I long to be with you that our mutual faith might encourage one another. There's something about when my life is connected to other people that, that there's a courage that comes from that. What you'll see in scripture is, is that God calls people to crazy, impossible, courageous stuff, but, but then he sticks with them an encourager. This is, this is what you see throughout scripture. So you'll see like, uh, this is Jonathan his armor. This is why we share the same thing. Is that Jonathan's like, dude, I got something stern in my heart. I want to go engage an entire army of the Philistines. The Lord sticks his armor bearer with him. And it's actually his armor bearer that says, listen, do all this in your heart. Here I am with you according to your heart. And then Jonathan says, very well, let's go cross over. It was, after he, it was after an encourager spoke to him that he, that he and so you see it again and again. It's, it's, it's Moses with Joshua. Joshua's going to go in the promised land, and God tells Moses in Deuteronomy 3, get with Joshua, strengthen, command, and encourage him. It's Mordecai with Esther. Esther doesn't even have the courage necessary to stand before the king apart from Mordecai. Listen, we, we preach this story a lot with Esther, and it's like, if I die, I die. But that statement was not as bold as we think it was, and it was not her first statement. When Mordecai comes to her and says, hey, listen, you're a queen. You're in the castle. Go stand before the king. She says, no. If I go stand before the king unannounced and he doesn't extend a scepter, I could die. I'm not going to do it. Then he sends word back and he says, and again, we, we cherry pick verses. He says, he says, if you don't go stand before the king, God will wipe you out. He'll wipe your family out. He'll raise up somebody else to do it. But who knows if you're brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Then she says, okay, go and fast and pray. And I'm going to go. And if I die, I die. But, but I would rather take my chance of death with the king than death with God. This was literally, he presented to, here's your two options. And, and so this, this thing of like, Esther doesn't even have the courage necessary to do what God had placed her in the castle to do apart from Mordecai. He doesn't. And we preach all this, you know, who knows if you're brought in the kingdom for such a time as this. The, the two verses before that were, if you don't, God will kill you, your family, and he'll raise up somebody else to do it. We just don't put that on bumper stickers. This is Paul. This is Paul with Timothy. Right? It's Barnabas with Paul and it's Paul with Timothy. It's that we have people in our life that say, listen, I know it's hard right now. I know you're struggling with, with getting breakthrough in this area. I know you're struggling with what God's called. It's, it takes courage. But listen, you can do this. Yes. God is with you. Yes. And if you don't, he'll kill you. No, don't say that. <laughs> this, is, this is, and this is the culture piece that I want to just end with. I, I very much believe that maybe one of the highest callings on a believer is to put courage inside of others i am convinced that especially in the western church that we don't need more teaching uh, we 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 have all the teaching we need like it's all over youtube and you get it every sunday I, i'm convinced that most people don't need more teaching they just need courage to do what god's called them to do they just need courage to be what god's called them to be they need courage to do what god's called them to do and, and, and this, is the missing, this is the missing ingredient in most of our churches. It's just people with courage. Wow. Courage to become healthy. Wow. Courage to have a healthy marriage. Wow. 
Marriage, I don't know how many married. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Well, parenting's maybe harder, but, but, but they're very close. Uh, I, I, I mean, to have a healthy marriage is one of the hardest things you'll ever go after. Being a good parent, one of the hardest things you'll have to go after. Living a life of purity, hardest thing you'll ever go after. And then we're not even talking about reaching a city and, you know, starting businesses and all that type of stuff. It takes courage. And so then we, we want to be in an environment where we stick courage inside of people. My dad ran the San Francisco Marathon years ago in San Francisco, which is a, a normally a cool, a temperature cool city. Uh, a heat wave hit, and so he runs a marathon, and people are passing out, man. They're just, they're, they're underneath cars in shade and hitting the wall, but my dad finishes. But he came back, and he described kind of how the San Francisco Marathon organizers put it together, and they had volunteers that would come in, not to hand out water, but like at the five-mile marker, 10-mile marker, 15-mile, and then 16, 17, 18, 19. They would have volunteers that came in, and all they did was they would run alongside the runners and encourage them. They'd be like, hey, you just got started five miles. Keep this pace. Make sure you enjoy this run. This is what you've been training for. You can do this. You know, that 15-mile marker, all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're over halfway. You're on the downhill slope. You've got this 17-mile marker. Listen, I know that you want to quit right now, but you can do this. Keep going. Put one foot in front of the other. And they just run alongside encouragers. They just run alongside runners and encourage them. When I heard that, I thought, that's what I want my life to be. I'm running my own race, but I want to run alongside runners, and I want to put courage inside of them. I want every time you hear me preach, every time you read a book, every time you run into me in the hallway, sit in my house, come to my office, walk into my church, that I want you to leave with more courage than you came in with. And I want you to go, I don't know what it is, but every time I'm around that individual, I just, I just leave with more courage. And I, I think this is a commitment that we have to make as, as, as Christians is that I want to be the most encouraging person in the room and I want to be the most encouraging person I know. I mean, just practically, I mean that. This is, I, I want to be every room I go in. I don't, I'm, I don't always succeed at this, but every room I go in, I want to be the most encouraging person in that room and I want to be the most encouraging person I know. And, and this means that I'm going to be intentional that when I'm thinking about somebody, I'm going to text. I'm not just going to think about them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to write them. Then every time I see them, I'm going to speak life into them. I'm going to believe over them. And then not only that, I'm going to come find you. We, got, we have to get a culture where like, hey, I don't know where you're at. I like You may be discouraged in some corner, but you are not alone. And I'm going to come find you and put courage inside of you. There's, there's a few movies I cry during, and they're usually like military movies, because anything that has to do with like sacrifice and loyalty, it's just, I don't know, I was like a baby. But um, uh, uh, Black Hawk Down, there's a scene in Black Hawk Down where the, one of the guys has been captured, and they can't go in and get him quite yet. It's nighttime. So they just fly a helicopter over this area where he's captured. And, and on the loudspeaker, they're, they're just saying, Mike Durant, we will not leave you behind. Mike Durant, we will not leave you behind. I'm just bawling. I'm just crying. <gasps> We're coming, Mike. We're coming, Mike. It's going to be all right. I do. I cry. I just sit here and cry. But it's that type of thing of like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but, but I'm thinking about you. I'm going to come find you. I'm going to speak courage into your life. And when I'm discouraged, man, I don't run from community. I run towards it. When I'm discouraged, I don't run from God. I run towards him because his presence and his family are the two things that put courage inside of me. 
can't, I can't be who God's called me to be apart from courage. I can't do what he's called me to do apart from courage. I just can't. It's just, it's not possible. And when you said yes to Jesus, if you thought it didn't take any courage, it's, this is, it takes a massive amount of courage to follow Jesus. And that's why we've got to create cultures in our church to speak life into people. That's going to speak life into you. You should get 10 people speaking life into you every time you walk in this place, every time you're around anything. Stand up with me. We've got to let you go. Listen, I don't have to have a word of knowledge or be prophetic to understand that most of you in this room are facing some discouragement, some area, right? This is just how the enemy wants to come at you, you know? But what I just want, if I could just get you one-on-one and sit in my office with you, I, I just, just speak courage to you, you know? And, and it would start with this. God is with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. You may be looking at your finances, wondering where God went. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's with you. I, I can just tell you, it really does start with me there. I might be overwhelmed. I might be scared. I might be discouraged. But it's because if I stop for a second, it's because I, I think God isn't with me in this. And when I go, oh, God, you are with me in this. You are with me in my marriage. You are with me in my parenting. You are with me in my finances. You are with me in the things you've called me to and my future. You are with me in my own personal struggles. You haven't left me in these things. You're there with me. I begin to find courage. And then as people get around. So, Father, I just, just speak courage. And this is why God is with you. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. I pray that his presence would fill you. I pray that his voice would speak to you. For those of you in this room that have separated from community, you may show up every Sunday, but you have distanced yourself from really allowing people to know you, to see you, to really intimately be with you. You've distanced yourself. Man, just break that thing off. Get out of the party pity. Get out of the party pity. Get out of the pity party. Get, get out of that isolation thing, that justification thing, that thing that says, you know, whatever, and there's a reason why this or that. And just say, I gotta get with people. Let people speak into your life. Let them challenge you. Let them encourage you. Let them believe in you. And Father, I pray that this would be a church that's known for not only its courage, but that it's known for its encouragement. And that we, just, that we would be over the top in this area. We'd be over the top in this area. And God, when we think about people, may we not just think about them, may we speak courage to them. Amen. Amen. Amen.